0: Welcome to Flowing East and West, The Perfectly Imperfect Journey. I'm Sherry Essig, an executive and life coach, and I work with people who are done settling for less than success and happiness.
1: And I'm Ann Roby, an HR advisor and consultant focused on building strong employee engagement and meaningful company culture. So Sherry, I just finished this delightful book called Speaking to What Matters, written by our guest today, Katherine Kennedy. Catherine was introduced to us by Leila Taraf, who was a previous guest. Um, and Catherine's also worked with Kara Jones and it turns out Marilyn McBride as well. So there's like a very fun, small world thing happening here about folks that have been on the, the podcast before. Catherine is a storytelling coach and helps people speak with more authority and confidence. In Catherine's case, that has resulted in this beautiful book called Speaking to What Matters. For her clients, it might be a book, a presentation, a wedding toast, or that dreaded question, why don't you tell me about yourself? Through her work, Catherine invites us to consider the core challenges in our lives, the series of choices we've made that has gotten us to where we are, and the change that has resulted in the direction of our lives. Kind of sounds like the perfectly imperfect journey to me. So Catherine, welcome to our podcast. Oh, thank you, Anne and Sherry. I'm so honored to be here. Truly. Thank you. Amazing. Well, since you speak about and write about this journey, which again, sounds so much like what we're here to talk about on the regular, why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey? Any points along the way where you had some ah ahas, the ups and the downs and kind of how you got to where you are now and today? Well,
2: oh, I love the bio and the intro because that dreaded tell me about yourself question.
1: <laughs> not, kind of like what I just asked you. I exactly what
2: I help and support people through. So the dreaded tell me about yourself and my journey, I just want to thank you again for inviting me to tell my story on your podcast. There's so much love and friendship between the two of you, so I just knew I would be in good hands.
1: Mm, thank you.
2: And I think telling our story has a lot to do with finding a safe place to tell your story. And it takes a lot of courage to even show up to a a loving and supportive podcast. So I'm going to pat myself on the back right now that I'm here.
1: (laughs) We're doing it virtually to you too.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And I'm really, really, really grateful. I've done a lot of reflecting on my story, as you know, because of the book, but also because I have been a storytelling coach for the past seven years officially. Unofficially, I have been helping people tell their story since I was 24 years old. I'm sitting here right now in the Bay Area, but I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm the youngest of four from a very Catholic family. There was a lot of wind at my back growing up, but as I reflect on a really pivotal moment in my upbringing, I was 17 years old. I was student council president. I was rushing through the hallway when the school counselor called out to me and said, Hey, Catherine, can you come in here? And I thought, Oh my God, I'm in trouble.
0: <laughs> Isn't that <it laughs> funny? <laughs> that's always our first thought. <laughs> <laughs> it's whoever they're calling me in to give me an award. <laughs> a little bit like Catholic school hangover, you know, that
2: yeah, yeah. I was in trouble. But here I was, a senior and a leader at school. And I walked into his office and I sat down across from him and he said, you know, I hear you laughing in the hallway and I see you rushing around working so hard on behalf of everyone. But sometimes I look at you and I wonder, are you okay? I froze and I didn't know what to say. And despite his beautiful, calm and loving presence in that room, I sat across from him and the tears rolled down my cheeks and I I really couldn't speak. So what was going on was I grew up, again, as I said, in a very supportive and loving family. But uh, one of the mottos actually was, uh, don't feel sorry for yourself. And I think one of the things I was excited about today with your Perfectly Imperfect podcast was part of my struggle was I had felt like I had to present the perfect person to my family and into my community and my school community, I was at odds with that because I didn't feel so perfect on the inside. Those tears—I wrote about this actually—in in my book. Those tears, if they could have talked, they would have said, "I'm alone and I'm miserable and I'm so tired of pretending that everything's okay."
0: So I just want to jump in for a second and say, number one, what an incredible act of caring and compassion on the part of the guidance counselor. I mean, it's just really remarkable that he just picked it up. It wasn't that you were acting out. So I just wanted to acknowledge that. That's incredible. And I'm also curious, what impact did that moment have on the trajectory of your life? It just seems like such a pivotal, big impact kind of moment.
2: Well, I kept coming back to that moment. It was like an awakening, frankly, because I was... I was devastated that I didn't have the courage that day to tell him the truth. And the truth was about some tough stuff that I was experiencing at home. And I just didn't feel like I could ruin the image of my perfect family by acknowledging some stuff I was going through. And all throughout college, I thought about this kind of counselor, because I felt seen, I might not have had the words that day, but I felt seen. And I felt like he saw that I was struggling. And that actually, that was enough. Somebody said to me, well, why didn't, why didn't
1: he ask you what you were actually feeling? And I said, you know what? He did. I mean, it also speaks to the importance for all of us to check in with our people Catherine, before we started, you, you so kindly acknowledged Sherry's and and my friendship and, and you acknowledged one of the things that Sherry had done for me years ago. And it's important and it has an impact. And I think part of what you're saying, and it'd almost be cool if we could hear his side, because it's not even that he needed an answer. And in the moment, yes, you said you were disappointed that you didn't have the words, but in so many ways, the vision I get is like a door opening. Like it was, it was the opening that allowed you later to share some of the way you were feeling, some of the things that were happening in your life. Is that a fair assessment? Absolutely. And so, in fact,
2: I had around that same time met a woman who was starting a nonprofit helping kids be the first in their families to go to college and actually one of the other mottos in my family was with privilege goes responsibility because my dad actually i mean we moved from i would say the middle class to the upper middle class and part of our struggle was as things became more abundant we weren't talking about the tough stuff and so it was it was very confusing to me everything was very confusing in my adolescence around my relationship with abundance and happiness, that it was almost a little bit of an inverse relationship. But I took those values and I pursued working with this nonprofit called Summer Search after college. I was an African-American studies major. I had gone to on a summer program during my summer between my freshman and sophomore year of college, and I lived with a family and it was Transformative because it may sound kind of cliche, but I stepped out of my environment and really saw the person I wanted to be, and I started to connect in more honest and truthful ways with others. And I it was kind of an opening, and then I went back to college and started to follow my passion of listening to people's stories. And those were the those were the classes I wanted to show up to. I keep telling my kids who are in college, just choose a major based on the classes you want to show up to. <laughs>
1: Which is fabulous <laughs> and, advice, actually. actually yeah.
2: <laughs> but I pursued working with this nonprofit, and the mission was to help kids be the first in their families to go to college through a similar type of program that I had gone on in Kenya, living with a family. And But the beauty of this program was how we worked with the students and helped them actually tell their story. So while I've been officially a storytelling coach since 2015, I actually, at the age of 24, learned an incredible way to open up and connect with a young person through this one question, which was the question that we asked for students to interview to get into summer search, which was, see your shoes. And so this is, imagine us, me in a in a high school, Counseling office with here it is. Isn't this interesting? Seven or eight years later, I'm in a high school counseling office and I'm learning the skills to help somebody open up by asking one question, which was different than what Tom Johnson asked me back when I was 17, but similar, which was see those shoes. The goal of this interview is for me to get inside of them. So I was hooked because here I was learning how to work with students in an honest and deep way and hear their stories. So I did that for 20 years.
1: So Catherine, I'm curious, as you are working to get into somebody else's shoes and really understand their story, how is it going for you with really telling your own story at this time?
2: Well, on the outside, I looked very different than the students I was working with. But what I learned in getting under the hood and hearing their thoughts and feelings and experiences in life and really what was going on for them I really discovered that we had so much in common. I think over time I realized that they might feel isolated from their father or they hadn't had that hard conversation with somebody that they really need to or they felt alone and they felt misunderstood and so a lot of the the feelings were the same. And so over time I don't know if I ever knew specifically that I had my own story until I think by the time I left summer search I really think I was aching to tell my story and find my story. I think I had been so devoted in promoting and helping and supporting these young leaders and opening doors for themselves, which it was a cr- incredible. It was an incredible career there. But I think on some level when I left, I wanted to grow. <laughs> and I just don't think that we have to take care of our own personal growth. Like we just do. I left and in the process of Starting my own business, I also started to blog a little bit. I started to experiment, and I knew that I needed to build the muscle of using my own voice. So I don't know if I knew I had a book in me, and I don't know if I knew I had a complete story in me. But I spent a lot of time over the past seven years working on it, and it wasn't until COVID that I had the opportunity to really sit down, sit my butt in the chair, and and write my. Story.
1: So Catherine, I kind of want to take you back to seventeen-year-old you who couldn't really tell her story at that point. And then 24-year-old you who was helping others tell their story. And even when I just asked you the question about your story, you kind of told us about them a little bit. I'm curious what's really going on for you during that time because it strikes me that you still had some of that bottled up. Oh, absolutely. I don't think I actually
2: believed I had a story until the day after I published my book on September 26th (laughs) of this year. Fair. I think part of the story is about my relationship with my father. And it's also about my husband and my relationship with my husband. I think when I finally had the courage to talk to my dad at the age of 39 about some tough stuff that we had experienced when I was in high school, if I hadn't actually confronted him with that kind of love and courage and curiosity, it's not that I wouldn't have had a story, but it was a story that I was in a way determined to tell and make sense of myself because I was—I—I I wrote my story around the time that my dad died. And I, in a way I was using it as an opportunity to process this like beautiful relationship, an arc of a relationship that had some struggles growing up. We had a decade of where he was my best friend right before he died. I mean, he was, I asked for closeness in the relationship and he showed up for me. And so I wanted to, through my story, make sense of this beautiful arc of a relationship. And I wanted to share it with other people
0: But more than anything, I just wanted to make sense of it for myself. I'm getting this sense that as you're talking about telling your story, what you're really talking about was the process of getting in touch with what was happening for you emotionally. Yes. And if we could go back a little bit where you're back working with people, these young people telling their stories, you are learning a whole new way to get people to open up what is happening for you emotionally during that period? Oh, well, it was
2: oh, so much. It's it's that's even hard to put into words. Absorbing everybody's feelings was so overwhelming for me because I think on some level that was part of probably what I experienced growing up was the empath that so many of us women are. It was really hard to sift through all those feelings that I was absorbing on the other hand, because it was so overwhelming, I w- knew that I had to deal with my own feelings and I had to learn how to take care of myself. And so because of their courage, I actually had more courage to get help. I went and saw a therapist when I was in my mid-20s. I started talking. I started running. I smoked in, throughout college. I had partied a lot through college. I, had, I, did a lot, I made a lot of stupid choices in my adolescence because of what I was feeling and because I wasn't bringing to life or saying out loud or even letting myself feel what I was feeling in a way, I was so motivated to change and to grow and to not be stuck in my head. And like those negative voices, what was I feeling? I was feeling a lot, (laughs) (laughs) but I was inspired to start sharing my feelings myself with at first my, my, Therapist and and little by little, my family. My dad actually did something in my 20s, which was really incredible. He started something called a family meeting, and it wasn't like a "well, you said this, and so you should do this." It was a whenever we were together once a year. I think he might have realized that like that the family needed something, or he was coming to his own personal growth moment. He'd always been a manager of people and a CEO, and so he was always very interested in. And like to philosophize about people's behavior, but I think he hit the same kind of run that I did on some soul level around trying to understand his feelings. And I think he looked at our family and realized we needed to start talking. We needed to start talking out loud about our feelings. And so he started something called this family meeting, where once a year we'd get together and he'd give everybody about ten or fifteen minutes just to share what was going on. Now this sounds so simple, but it was transformative because. Over time, we got more and more comfortable actually saying what was actually going on. So here I am in my my professional life, helping kids open up. I'm going to see a therapist. I'm finally starting to take care of myself in healthy ways. I'm running. I'm talking. I'm letting myself cry. I'm letting myself get angry for probably the first time directly, as opposed to bottling up and drinking or smoking or Looking right love, or looking for love in all the wrong places.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? No.
2: And I'm starting to be more honest with my own family. And there's something about when you can start to change, even minutely, within the context of your own family. It's trans- That's that's transformative in and of itself. I think.
1: It seems like a transition from one of your family mottos was don't feel sorry for yourself. And so how did that translate into this 15 minutes or whatever it was of just being able to talk about yourself?
2: Well, it doesn't mean that everybody just started to cry, but what it did mean is that it was little by little opening up about some of this tough stuff that you were going through as a parent, as a person, as a professional. Um I remember I at one point said that Duncan and I, my husband and I were in therapy and I didn't feel particularly wrapped around in that meeting by my family, but they listened. And I had to work through my own feelings of judgment. But and I remember I talked to my dad afterwards and he said, you know, Catherine, I'm so happy that you and Duncan are getting help. It's it's a great gift you give you can give yourself and your children to work now on what's going on between the two of you.
0: I'm just curious where in the timeline of this amazing work you're doing with your therapist and these family meetings, where in this timeline did you shift from a single person into being in a relationship? And I I know you have a family. I'm curious how these different parts of your life were being informed by each other.
2: I think I grew really rapidly in my twenties. And so I think you're, the timeline is kind of like, really all of that in two or three or four years, (laughs) when you get inside the shoes of, of hundreds of kids, and I was working with hundreds of kids, it catapults you into, I was really inspired to change and step up and be the best person I could possibly be. So I met my husband when I was 27. My first date with him actually was my 27th birthday. And we had a fast romance. And what I didn't talk about earlier in this conversation was all the people I dated and,
1: and I still in college. Well, you
2: did sort of reference looking for love in all the wrong places. <laughs> <laughs> so by the time I started to love myself, I think I was ready to love somebody. And I think that is a journey. But it doesn't mean that it was all perfect. Let me tell you. I mean, Duncan and I had a fast romance and got engaged quickly and had kids quickly and then the bumps started but that too if I learned anything from my work with kids is that I learned actually people used to say oh you must be such a good parent and I said no everything finds out the window with your own children <laughs> <laughs> right? 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 So what what my work with with the, with those students helped me do is realize that it takes courage to ask for help it takes courage to talk about what's going on and it takes courage to ask for help And so when we hit bumps in the road, we asked for help. I did a little bit slyly, which is in my book. There's a part where where I got my husband to go to therapy.
0: It's (laughs) in my book, but we ran with it and it was really helpful. You know, I want to just highlight something you just said, because it's so important is that it takes courage to ask for help. And I think so often people feel like it's weak to ask for help. And this idea that it's actually an act of bravery, it's an act of strength, it's an act of courage. I'm just really glad you brought that up because it's it's so, so true. It is
2: true. And it's, for whatever reason, it's it's a hard lesson to learn. You had some difficult,
1: unresolved issues with your dad. And so I'm wondering what led you to being able to really address some of those things with him and how did that go?
2: Well. I mentioned that we were doing those family meetings and he was so amenable to me sharing that I was in therapy with Duncan. And so I think everybody knew that I was on a growth trajectory in my family, like kind of Catherine, a little bit of the the problem <laughs> was growing up finally. <laughs> and I think they were proud of me for what I was was trying to create out here in the Bay Area. I think they saw my intentions. So in terms of my, my father and my relationship with him at one point in a meeting, he said that he wanted to, he was in his mid seventies at this point and wanted to start taking his daughters on trips once a year. So he would take one daughter on one trip every year and a trip like we went to New York city. We went to Santa Barbara and we actually went and picked up my two sons at camp in Colorado together. So it was certainly amazing to have one-on-one time with my dad. And I just knew when he mentioned that, that this was my chance to talk about some stuff that I had struggled with him growing up. So why did I have the courage to confront him with love and curiosity? I think because I had done so much personal work therapy. And I'd done so much work with Duncan. And I just think if you want to get close to somebody, you have to share what's inside. It's not just the good stuff, but it's, it's the good and the bad it's the gratitude and the resentfulness. And, and I think part of what I had struggled with in high school was that I was so grateful for the life that he was creating for us, but I was resentful about some stuff. And I was too afraid to say those resentments out loud, which those resentments that you keep inside can turn on you. (laughs) I just thought as an opportunity, I was scared though, but it was beautiful. He showed up in such a beautiful way. I mean, he was really honest with me about,
1: about everything. So you have this difficult conversation with your dad and you had some resentments that had built up. How did your relationship change as a result of this conversation that you had? It changed everything
2: because I was no longer holding on to this nagging voice in my head that that he didn't know me and that I didn't know him. I felt I felt like that moment with Tom Johnson in that counseling office and with what I gave to those summerster students, I felt seen and I felt like I really saw him. I saw him for the beautiful person he was, the perfectly, frankly, imperfect person that he was. And he got to see me as that person too. And that was about 12 years before he died. And so I feel so grateful, not that we had a perfect relationship, but that our relationship was complete. We repaired some of the hard stuff and that is not lost on me how lucky I am.
0: You just commented that you could see your father as an imperfect human, just like you can now see yourself as an imperfect human. And I'm curious, you mentioned early on in the conversation that you felt all this pressure to be perfect. And so you've talked a bit about, don't feel sorry for yourself and you can be grateful, but you can also be resentful. And I'm curious what your relationship with the pressure to be perfect is today. Oh, well, I put a little bit of
2: pressure on myself leading into this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I wrote that story, my book, that first year of COVID, and then I sat on it. I had to work through that it wasn't a perfect book. I didn't write a 250-page memoir. I didn't, that wasn't the point of it. I didn't pursue a publishing house. That wasn't the point of it. But I had to still work through my own voices that it wasn't good enough. And I also had to work through like what my true intention was. I'm so, so proud of this book because it is deeply personal. It is short. It packs a punch. There are a lot of beautiful lessons in it. And it does tee somebody up to be inspired to tell their story and maybe possibly find courage in mm-hmm. moments of potential connection with the people they love the most. So I am so proud of it, but it took me a
1: long time. Because of that perfectionism? Yes,
2: And I also had to get over the hump and the fear around sharing intimate details about my life and my family's lives. And that's hard. And it makes gives me so much compassion for anyone who wants to share their story because I have actually a a lucky story in a way. I mean, I've been really blessed. That is not lost on me how, how blessed I've been in my life. And I
0: still had so much fear into sharing this story publicly. And it is a very courageous thing to do. I mean, you are very, very vulnerable in your telling of your story in a very beautiful way. My kids, I have
2: three adult, well, I have three teenagers, 21, 19, and 17, two boys and a girl. And they were the last holdouts. They, the book I dedicated to them because I want them to have the courage to share what's inside. I want them to live an authentic life on their own terms, but it still was very scary to share some of the things about myself and my family with them. (laughs) My oldest though read it. And he said, mom, mom, this is going to change my life. And I said, really, really, really? How?" And he said, you know, Papa was amazing and he was larger than life. And he had such an incredible impact on so many people. And I loved him so much, but you know what? It's nice to know that I don't have to be perfect.
0: What a huge gift. That is amazing. Can you imagine if someone had given you that gift when you were that age?
1: And this book is a gift to anybody else that's reading it for that exact same reason. It's an invitation into vulnerability. It's an invitation into letting your authentic self be seen.
2: Well, that is my hope. That is my hope that someone is inspired to be more of who they are and love themselves.
1: All of it. <laughs> all of themselves. Uh, so thank you. It sort of strikes me that at the end of the book, you talk about the difference between telling your story and seeing the full arc of your story. And I'm curious if you could unpack that a little bit. What does that really mean to you?
2: Well, one of the things you said was this framework. You acknowledged the the way I'm, in which I work with people is I help them with this very simple framework called the three C's, Challenge Choice Change. It's not that complicated. <laughs> a beginning, middle, and end of a story. Okay. The beautiful thing about challenge choice change is that it gives people guardrails to go really deep and then see the choices that they've made because a lot of us think that life happens to us. But when you reframe your story on the choices you've made, I mean, my choices in the beginning were really to be quiet, to keep inside, to be miserable, to pretend that everything's okay. I'm not thrilled about those original choices, but as I look at the arc of my story, I kept choosing to grow. I kept choosing to change. I kept choosing courage and asking for help, and I kept choosing to be more and more vulnerable even when it's hard, because it's still hard for me. I mean, it's still hard for me. The beautiful thing about the challenge, choice, change is that you can see the arc of your change <laughs> and that that middle piece reframing your journey into the choices you've made. You actually see your story with abundance and clarity and empowerment. It's kind of see your power through the journey of your life, as opposed to just what's been hard.
1: <laughs> so what are you doing with the book now? What have you seen? You, you you birthed it towards the end of 2023 and it found its way into the world. What are you doing now with the book and, and how are you expanding the learnings that you have in there for people?
2: Well, I'm very proud that I've stayed very true to my values so far around the story and this purpose. I did a pretty small Zoom launch in September with 35 people. My mom was there, my sister's close-ins and some clients. And somebody said, are you going to do a book tour? And I said, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but I am going to try to do some book circles. And they said, what's that? Like a book club? And I said, well, what I'd like it to be is a circle where everyone's come having read the book, but it's not about the book. It's about, so I could facilitate telling them, telling their stories. So that caught fire. And I've done over a dozen circles so far. I have another dozen lined up. I have an online course in February. That's a six week, how to tell your story, find, write, share your story. I have some circle immersion days lined up in March here in the Bay area. So the circles have been incredibly meaningful, a way to share my book to share my story. And again, with the intention of somebody really getting to know me in a deep way, but reading it and being inspired to share their own story. So I'm so proud of that. I feel like people are finding themselves in my story and being inspired to tell their story. So I'm overwhelmed and I have three different ways that you can read or listen to my story. Uh, I have the, the ebook and the hardback and audio just came out. So it's been more successful than I would have, could have dreamed. And success meaning that I'm, it's having an impact in the people who are reading it. And that, for me, is enough.
0: That's really, really awesome. And so this is where you are in your story right now. And I want to go back to almost the beginning of your story. And if you could go back in time and whisper some words of wisdom in little Catherine's ear what would you tell her? I have lots of cards of of little wisdom, but how much time do you have?
2: (laughs) (laughs) We have time. Go for it. (laughs) I would say to feel your feelings, that you are enough, that the world
1: needs to hear your story, that you are a work in progress and it's all going to be okay. Well, and again, just to reflect back on the beautiful words from your son, what an amazing gift that that would be frankly to any person, but I love that that's the gift you would give to little Catherine. So Catherine, thank you so much for joining us today. We really, really appreciate you and your vulnerability and you showing up and telling your story. Thank you for joining us.
0: Thank you both so much for having me. Oh, it's been such a pleasure to have you as part of the conversation And on that note, we will wrap up our episode for today. We really hope you enjoyed it and would love it if you would share our podcast with a friend, give us a rating on iTunes, or post it to your own social media. Until then, please join us next time for Flowing East and West, The Perfectly Imperfect Journey.